All right. First Timothy chapter two. God's good word to us. If I can find it, put the bookmark in the wrong spot. Okay. This is God's eternal word, word, and it is good and true. I'm going to start in verse 8. I desire that then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's ask God for his blessing this morning. Father, we... Pray that you'd be with us. We pray that you'd help us to see your word. We pray that our hearts and minds would be toward you. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm going to deal with one aspect of this this morning, and then I'm going to have one more sermon next week. I just couldn't, I didn't want an hour and ten minute sermon this morning. You probably didn't either. Um, And so we're going to have one more sermon next week to hopefully wrap everything up in this section And so this morning, I want to focus in on the reason that Paul gives that women should be quiet and learn with all submissiveness, and that he does not permit a woman to teach or to hold authority. Two preliminaries before we get into the meat of things. There are two common arguments against this passage being for us today. The first common argument is to use a passage like Galatians chapter 3, which says, In Christ there are neither slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Christ. And to say that that somehow negates any difference between men and women at any point. Um, The problem with that is that Galatians 3 and other passages like that are speaking about salvation, which is offered to all freely, without qualification, slave, Free, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, adult, child, it doesn't matter. The gospel is for all of us. And that is absolutely true. But it does not erase differences between all of us. It doesn't change created order. And so that is not a good reason to say that Paul can't possibly mean anything by what he says here. And the second is to say that, well, it's just Paul that's writing and... How big of a deal is that anyway, that Paul would say something? Because he does say, I, I do not permit, right? So it's, Paul's actually saying the word I. He says that in a lot of places, especially in books like 1 Corinthians, where he says, the Lord didn't say this to you, but I am saying this to you. Um, He says it in many places. And then I want to read to you what Paul says about what he says. So whenever he says the word I in his letters, what does he mean? This is one place where he addresses that. 
If anyone, this is 1 Corinthians 14, verse 38. If anyone does not recognize this, well, I'm going to back up. I'm going to read verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. So he says, if anyone acts like they're spiritual or good, Paul says, they need to acknowledge that I, Paul, am writing to you commands of the Lord. And then he says, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. And so, whenever Paul says, I say this, he is speaking as an apostle to the church and saying, I am speaking on behalf of God. This is, in fact, his word to you, to us as a church. And so wherever we encounter Paul saying, I, it is with the authority of the apostles. It is with the authority of the Holy Spirit. It is with the whole authority of God himself speaking. And so it is not reduced when Paul says, I. It is emphasized. It is where Paul wants to draw very clear attention to the fact that if you think you can get away without this, think again. This is very particular. I am telling you this. That's what he's saying. So it's, it's the idea of, let's say there's a problem with my children during the day and Sarah calls me and lets me know. And I tell her, you tell them what I said. And so Sarah would go, your dad said this. And it would come with extra authority because they would know that I was had to be bothered to be told something. And now it's going to come down on them. That's exactly the sort of thing that happens with Paul. He is an apostle. He's delivering words to the churches. And when he has to say, I, Paul, the apostle, say this to you, it's because we don't want to hear what is about to happen. And so he wants to make it very clear. I am giving you this. So it's very authoritative when he says that. And so those are the two most common arguments against this passage being for us. We've dealt with some other ones through the weeks in 1 Timothy. But if you ever hear anybody say, no, 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 all differences are erased because of Galatians 3, they're not. And if you hear someone say, oh, it's just Paul talking there, it doesn't mean authority, it doesn't mean it's God's word. 1 Corinthians 14 says otherwise. And so those are the two main objections. I'm not going to get into the weeds on that with y'all. But know this, this is God's word. Every piece of it. And it's for us. Today, right now, 2020, the mess of whatever in the world is going on in the United States, and the mess that is wherever you are in the world, this is for God's people. And we are his people. And so it's for us. So next week I'm going to deal with what it means for a woman to be quiet and submissive and what it means for her to be saved in childbearing. This week I'm going to hopefully help us understand why those things are the way they are. And so Paul gives two reasons. Because Adam was formed first and then Eve. That's the first reason. 
The second is, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So two reasons by Paul. I do not permit a woman to teach or to hold authority, but rather she must remain quiet. Why does it matter about this kind of authority to begin with? Why does it matter at all that any difference exists in the church anyway? This is something that we're constantly fighting against within ourselves and with each other. We like the things other people have. We like the things other people do. And we think, if I could do those things or have those things, then I would be like that person and I would be important. I would have the thing that matters. And it's like this, no matter what gift you have. You always think the other guy has the better one. You always think the other woman has the better thing. And you always think, if I had that, well, then people would respect me. People would assume that I have something that's necessary. But that's not the way that God created us. God created us and made us different. And it's good that we are different and not the same. We spoke about this a little bit in Sunday school, but we will be different all the way to the end of all things, into eternity, into God's presence. We don't all of a sudden, when Christ returns, become the same. We don't all get the same gifts. We don't all of a sudden all have the same exact stuff. We are different all the way through eternity. And it's good that we're different. In fact, it's God's absolute plan that we are different. So... One of the ways we're different is just in gifting. So this is from 1 Corinthians 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. But the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, But because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So that's the first part, desiring to be something we're not. And then continuing on, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That is a reverse of American logic if I've ever heard it. The things that seem to be weaker 
are indispensable. Cannot do without them. If they leave, the, the weak things leave, the whole body falls apart. And yet it makes perfect sense, right? You all have probably heard, like, if you lose your big toe, you have a lot of trouble walking again, right? Why? The big toe is only, you know, this little guy, I'm a pretty big dude. I should be able to get along without one little toe. And yet, lots of people have lots of problems if they lose their big toe because it helps you balance your whole body. Or, these tiny little bones in our ears, there's three of them, I forget what they're called, the stirrup, the anvil and a hammer or something like that. And they're tiny little bones inside our ear, right? And there's fluid around them. And if that fluid gets all whopper-jawed, what happens? You get dizzy, you fall over, right? I mean, little bitty bones in the ear that if they get out of alignment, you can't walk. And they're up here. This is the whole body of Christ. It's all of us. Whenever we feel miserable and small, a woe is me, woe is me. I don't have anything. Oh, I'm so small, insignificant little me. God says, you, you are not insignificant. You are to be more honored. You are more important. And to those who boast and say, I don't need anybody else, I got it all. Stop your boasting. Stop it. And don't envy one another your gifts. Okay, now let's take this a little bit further back. Who made you? God. God made you. Did he make you male or female? Don't say both. He made you male or female. Did he make a mistake? No. He makes no mistakes. You are a woman because God made you a woman. You are a man because God made you a man. There is no in-between. And so this, this latest sexual weirdness of gender dysphoria is just sin. It's just sin. It's rebellion against our Creator. It's saying to God, who made us? You made me wrong. You put my parts together incorrectly. My DNA doesn't match. Not true. Not true at all. It's just complete rebellion. Now, if you think that's rebellion, to say to God, you should have made me a woman, because I think I'm a woman, it's just as crazy to think that God should have given you a different gift for the church. He made you who he made you to be. No different, no less, no more. And if we think that would be crazy to say back to God, you gave me the wrong gift. I should have, had, I should have been a foot and I'm an ear. Clearly I'm a better foot than I am an ear. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, if God made you a woman or a man, a male or a female, if he gave you the gifts he gave you, he knows exactly how those gifts should be used for the sake of one another, doesn't he? 
This is this at the rock bottom is the reason that it matters that Adam was formed first and not Eve. Because God didn't accidentally make the man first. And he's like, oh, man. I guess I should have maybe, ah, it's, uh, it's too late now. I already got Adam. Uh, Adam, go to sleep. All right, Eve's here. Now we're good. It was always planned. And so you have to ask yourself, whenever you're reading Scripture, what is God doing? Not just what he is saying, but what is he doing? Okay? We all know that good teachers, good fathers, good mothers have more behind what they're saying than just the stuff they're spitting out of their mouths, right? That if a teacher is teaching you how to do this one thing, that he, they actually know that if you get this one thing, it actually opens up a world of other things, if you'll just get this one thing. And our good Father, our God, has done a thousand things that he's recorded for us in his word. Millions of things that he's done. And he does every single one of them with a purpose. He never misspeaks. He never accidentally does. And everything he does has meaning. He's always teaching. He wants us to actually learn things. He wants us to see what he has done and think about why he did it that way. And so it was no accident that Adam was formed first and then Eve. Adam was the head of the human race. We read about it in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. For in one man all the world fell. All the world sinned. All the world became guilty. Adam has the weight, even though it was Eve who ate the fruit first. Why? Because God built men differently than women. We know this intuitively. We know this generically, right? We know this anatomically, biologically. Men and women are different. But also, spiritually speaking, men and women are different. We know this. The things that help a man, comfort a man, are different than the things that comfort most women. This is true. It's been true your whole life that you know that you can talk to a man differently than you can talk to a woman when they're grieving. When they're in temptation, when they're in sin. You can talk to a woman differently than you can talk to a man about their children, about their spouse, about their parents. Why? Because God made Adam first and then Eve. And Adam bears a weight and a responsibility that is different. God didn't just give men broad shoulders to carry bigger loads physically. He gave us broad shoulders to indicate something that we are supposed to bear spiritually. Now think about this. Eve was deceived and ate the fruit. And then, what does it say? And then she gave with her husband who was with her. And he ate. But Eve is not credited with the downfall of the human race. 
Adam is. Why? Because he had a responsibility. He got the command before even Eve even existed. So before Eve was when God said, Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the midst of the garden. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. That was to Adam. Eve got it secondarily, after the fact. Adam had a responsibility to protect his wife, to protect the woman, to say to the serpent to be quiet, to crush the serpent's head. Jesus came to fix that problem, right? He is the second Adam. He's the last Adam. That's 1 Corinthians 15. That we all, in Christ, become new. Everything God does is on purpose. And he made Adam first and not Eve because Adam bears the weight and the responsibility in a greater measure than Eve. And that's how God has designed all men. We, as men, bear the weight, not just physically, but spiritually. If the church collapses, we bear it more. And if we abdicate, if we say we don't, it will just flounder more and more. And you see this. You see this throughout church history. But you're seeing it right now. Right now. All the churches who 40 years ago began ordaining women to the eldership, which includes us, right? We did this. Those denominations are vastly, quickly diminishing. Every one of them, their peak membership was in the 90s. So the PCUSA, the American Baptists, the Episcopalians, the Evangelical Lutherans, Church of the Brethren, um, I could go on. They, they grew, and then as women continued to take on the role of the weight, and men did this. And you see the fruit of it. You can walk into any of those churches. Ours is included, and women outnumber men. Because men stepped away, didn't bear it, didn't bear the responsibility, didn't come up underneath it. Didn't take care of it. Abdicated. Just like Adam. And what happened when Adam abdicated? The whole world fell. And what happens now when men abdicate their role in the church? The church falls. The church will fall. And it is horrible to watch. It's terrible to watch. Adam was formed first and then Eve. And Eve was deceived and then Adam. We, we have a thousand reasons why we think that we know better than God about what should happen here, now, in this place. And it's very easy, it's very easy to make an excuse why this might not be the thing we should do. Right? It's very difficult, though, to do the hard thing. Right? If we were still part of the PCUSA, we could become particularized pretty quick. Because to be an elder in the PCUSA is a much less strenuous process, and it's open to men and women. 
So we automatically triple the amount of people we have available for the role. And the procedure is less. In the PCA and an evangel, it's men who uphold doctrine, and as we'll read in a little bit, uphold morality. Now, one final thing about this um, that we don't talk about much. So the main complaint about this is that it's unfair and that women should be allowed to do anything a man should do. Right? This is the American way. There is no difference. There is no possibility that men are more suited to a role than women. Or women more suited to a role than men. And that's just untrue. There are many things women do that they are uniquely, that you are uniquely made to do better than me, better than any man. One of them is mothering. Why is it that women are better at raising children who are young? I don't know, other than God made you better at it. Intuitively, spiritually, physically, in general, women are better at dealing with kids than men. Men have to work harder at it. Women are intuitively good at it. Now, the other half of this is that men... So, so we have this office, this office of elder or pastor. And oftentimes, it's all that we associate with 1 Timothy chapter 2. I do not permit a woman to teach or to hold authority... And so we go, okay, they, they can't be elders or pastors. And that's true, right? What am I doing right now? I'm teaching, exerting authority. What do elders do? They teach, they exert authority. And so women are excluded from that role. So that automatically wipes out 50% of the population of the world. Now just stop for a minute and think, of the 50% that are left, how many are excluded? Most men. Most men are not going to meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus 2. Or Titus chapter 1. For lots of different reasons. 95% of men also excluded from the office of elder or pastor. So now you have 2.5% of the world's population eligible to do this job. Why does that matter? Well, if we want to talk about equality and fairness, we would have to give it both ways. And so it wouldn't just be gender equality. It would have to be spiritual equality. That there are no men or, who are meeting these qualifications. And so therefore any man can do the job. That's the only other way you can go. If you believe that there is gender equality, that women can do the role of pastor and elder, then the qualifications also do not matter because they exclude the vast majority of people. Let's just read them. Overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, Self-controlled, respectable, 
hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he not, may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now, lots of men meet most of those. Few men meet all of them. Because we're prone to sin. Right? This is our nature. That doesn't mean the office of pastor and elder is some special, unbelievable, gifted office. In fact, we're circling back to this. The reason I think that it's such a big deal that we don't allow women into the office of elder and pastor is because we think it's an elite position. And it is in some sense. But it's not an important position any more than the foot or the hand or the ear or the nose. We make it seem as though the the most important thing, the best way to serve the church is to be an elder or a deacon. The reality is the vast majority of the church for all of history has not been an elder or a deacon. The most important parts of the church are the ones that seem the weakest. You, the people in the pew, are more important than me. How do I know that? How do you know that? Now think about this. What is the name of a pastor? He is a shepherd. And a shepherd cares for the sheep. Who is more important in that? Who would the shepherd die for? His sheep. So who is more important in that scenario? The sheep. You are the most important part of this church. The elders, the pastor, are the shepherds to make sure the sheep do their job, eat their food, and make it to the end. It sometimes seems as though this office is the thing. It's not the thing. You are who Christ died for. You are the part of the body that seems, right? That's the word that Paul uses, seems less important. Therefore, you are worthy of more honor. So when we talk about this, Adam was formed first and then Eve, and Eve was deceived and not Adam. What we're talking about is the responsibility laid upon men's shoulders to bear the burden of the church as its shepherds. That doesn't mean they are the most important part of the church. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. Pastors come to serve, not to be served. 
That doesn't mean I don't want your help this weekend. The gospel is for all of us. Salvation belongs to every man, every woman who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some have this gift. And some have that gift. And some are men. And some are women. And Adam was formed first. And so now men, all of us men, bear that weight. We bear it in a unique way. And if we give way, it causes the church to stumble and it causes the women to have to take up the slack. It's a double wicked thing for men to abdicate. It's a sin against ourselves, who we are, and it's a sin against the sheep. We are the shepherds, you men. Act like it. And to you women, last week, what is precious in the sight of God? A woman clothes herself in good works, quiet and gentle in spirit, precious in the sight of God. There is a lot more to the church than this, right? There's lots of things. I'm going to end with one final idea along these lines. So, story of Joseph. If any man in Scripture could claim, you put me in the wrong family, (laughs) with the wrong brothers, with the wrong mother, at the wrong time, for the wrong reasons, it would be Joseph. Right? His brothers hated him. His brothers almost killed him. Then his brothers sold him into slavery. And then... Potiphar's wife put him in prison, and then uh, the cupbearer forgot about him. He spent years toiling away. Nothing, nothing, nothing. And Joseph was content to be who he was, where God placed him, the things that he had, the things that he didn't have, didn't matter. He was content with God and what God gave him. And so that is our real, real deal is to be content. So, what do I think the, the message of 1 Timothy is? It's contentedness. It's contentedness with the Word of God, contentedness with each other, contentedness, contentedness with who God made you and who made, God made me to be, contentedness with what God has given us. To that end, I, I think one of the most important things for us to do as a body And for the church to do worldwide is to know Scripture together. Um, And so there's a passage at the end of 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I've made some bookmarks up. It's got the passage on it. I have these at the back. Over the next couple of months, I want us to work on this as a body. You may have never spent time in the last 20 years memorizing Scripture. We're going to try to urge one another on to the same. Because really what needs to happen with this 
Adam was made first and then Eve. And with our culture pressing us the opposite way, is that we need to be content with who God made us. God made you a woman. Be content. He has given you lots of things to do. If God made you a man, be content. Do the work God gave you. Bear the responsibility God gave you. And it will be great gain to us as a body if we learn to be content together. And so that's the message for today. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it, what being quiet in the assembly is, what it means that women will be saved through childbearing next week. Um, God is very good to us and very kind to us, giving us one another, giving us gifts in one another, giving us sins in one another that we can bear with one another, right? This is one of the things that is remarkable in the church is that um, we need to be content with each other. When we sin, when we don't sin, when we're righteous, when we're not righteous, content with me, content with you, that God put the ears and the eyes and the feet and the hands all here together, all for a purpose. All of us. All of us for a purpose. Let's pray this morning.